Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. One more time, I want to give the drummer some of this funky soul we got here. Give the drummer some. James Brown made that demand. That everyone happily acquiesced to. In 1969, Clyde Stubblefield was his guy, and on Funky Drummer, JB made sure that the spotlight was on his ace behind the kit. Stubblefield's drumming in that song would become right up there with Gregory Coleman's Amen Break, one of the most sampled beats in modern music. Santana, the band has had 17 drummers throughout its existence. And Carlos has always made sure that they were always worthy of, and oh my God, please forgive this phrasing, he made sure they were always worthy of getting some. In the making of this season of The Opus, I got to speak to Michael Shreve, Santana's drummer for Abraxas, and one of the members of what is known as the band's classic lineup, but I also got to speak to Cindy Blackman Santana, the current drummer for the group. And in this episode, we'll take a beat and tip a hi-hat to everyone in between. Drummers, this one's for us. For Consequence of Sound and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this is The Opus. Now, this would be a really good spot to have a wacky but informative Animaniacs-esque song that rolled through this cavalcade of drummers with handy mnemonic devices built in so you'd remember them for a test. But, and this is my promise to you, there will not be a test at the end of this. Life is already enough of a test as it is. But, I do think we can learn a bit about each skins person in a short period of time without channeling wacko, yakko, and dot. Now, in this season, we've already checked in with Mike Shreve, who played with Santana on Abraxas. I, I, I was very conscious of the fact that there was a lot of rhythm in the band. And even at, at times, the whole band, aside from the percussion section, that everything was just rhythm. There were There's times, like on songs like Jingo or, um, you know, even on Abraxas, say like Siakabo um, or Hope You're Feeling Better, the, even the rock stuff. It's just one big rhythm machine. So you really want to be a part of that tight weave, like a like a rug, you know, like a, a tightly woven rug. And I, I saw it like that. Um, you didn't want to stand out. You wanted to just be a part of the, part of the whole the whole vibe you know great team player that is something that everyone here has in common they're great team players in a band 
on a team in a family that has so many people giving their all, so many people doing the most, so many people at the top of their games, you have to be a great team player. So let's move on. During Shreve's stint, there was an overlap where the great Buddy Miles was also in the band. Buddy Miles was in Jimi Hendrix's Band of Gypsies. And he had a great solo career himself. I put one of Buddy Miles' songs on my wedding mix. If you're getting married out there, make a wedding mix. Your out-of-town guests will need a soundtrack. But from December 1971 to April 1972, Miles toured with Carlos Santana, and a CBS-released concert album came out of it. Carlos Santana and Buddy Miles live! exclamation point was recorded inside of an inactive volcano in Hawaii. Now let me take a little aside here and tell you about my Uncle Ronnie. My Uncle Ronnie loves Santana so, so much. So much. And I think that this podcast might be the only reason he thinks I'm cool, and that's totally fine with me. But my Uncle Ronnie met Carlos Santana in Hawaii, and part of me wonders, was this what happened? Was my uncle inside of an active volcano? The family Zoom this weekend is going to be just alight with questions. Back to the drummers. For two albums in the 1970s, Leon Ndugu Chancellor held it down. Like everyone else here, he was the guy, the session guy, the touring guy, the recording guy. And before he'd even graduated college, he'd already played with Herbie Hancock and Miles Davis. And after he'd left Santana, he went on to play with just about everyone else. He was nominated for a Grammy for co-writing Let It Whip by the Daz Band. And hey, does, does this jump part sound familiar? Yeah, that's Chancellor. That's wild. Talent attracts talent, right? I mean, what other explanation is there for why the universe acted as an internal magnet for Santana and their drummers? Santana was a, a major stop in the careers of some of the most impressive resumes in music. Gaylord Birch. He played for the Pointer Sisters, for Stevie Wonder, Graham Central Station, and a little something in 1979 with Jerry Garcia called Reconstruction. It was very short-lived. But geez, what, what was that studio like? Graham Lear was the drummer for Gino Vanelli, Ario Speedwagon, and Paul Anka. And everybody knows you got to come correct with the Anka. He did not come to mess around. Alfredo Reyes plays 
uh, for the noted white band Chicago these days, but he spent long stretches with Steve Winwood and Lindsey Buckingham, among many, many others. And Billy Johnson spent four albums with Frankie, Beverly, and Mays. And let me just tell you, if you ever go to a black cookout, a uh, HBCU homecoming, you best get your life right and learn about Frankie Beverly and Mays. Now it's at this point that I can um, feel like this, this weird presence behind me in the office in my house where I'm recording all of this. It's coming from the percussion corner. The percussion corner is where my set of drums, the Ludwig Questlove uh, cocktail kit, that's where that lives. It's where the Elisis electronic drum kit lives. It's where all the auxiliary percussion lives. And it's where this set of timbales that I bought drunk off of uh, Craigslist this one time lives. You get an email at like 10 a.m. on a Sunday. Hey, are you still coming to pick up these timbales? Oh, no. That's another story for another day. I kept up my end of the bargain. But they're staring at me. All of this percussion is staring at me. They're also gathering dust. All of these greats are making me feel bad, and they should. It's This is my fault, 100%. I mentioned in an earlier episode that I was in a band in high school, and that's true. Obasi was great. I started playing drums when I was 15 years old. And I started with the marching band. Well, I started playing saxophone with the marching band, but that was too loud. I know, I know. You could play on drum pads, though, at home. But the orchestra is where I ended up. They had a great percussion section, and their experience was more of the experience that I wanted. That is to say that marching was not my jam. And also, I would be lying if I said that the wardrobe didn't have something to do with it. Formal blacks were much preferable to those itchy orange and blue band uniforms any day. And as an adult, I've spent time in more than a few groups as a drummer, as an auxiliary percussionist, as a vocalist, as a weird mix of all three, racks with three X's, hey ladies, Cooler by the Lake, Girl Group Chicago, The Bangers, Torgos, each has had their own bright spots. And I like to think that I, I, I did my best as a drummer, as a percussionist, as a vocalist, as a weird mix of all three. But if I don't get off my ass and start practicing... I'm never going to get invited to audition for another band again. Nonetheless, get invited to audition for Santana. Let's get back to Santana. Ronnie Holmes holds a great spot in Santana because Ronnie Holmes spent the late 90s and early aughts in the band. About seven inches from the midday sun. Ronnie Holmes played on Smooth from Santana's Supernatural album. And I really hope he got points on that one. Tommy Bradford. Not just a character from Eight is Enough. Tommy Bradford was a journeyman 
Not like Neil Schoen was a journeyman. Although, he did play with Neil Schoen and Whitney Houston and Tony, Tony, Tony and Ladizi and so much more. And then we get to Horatio El Negro Hernandez. He's a Cuban percussionist and he's a badass. He's got over 300 records under his belt from his time in Havana alone. And there's a lot of great nicknames belonging to these great drummers. Sugarfoot might be my favorite, though. Ricky Sugarfoot Wellman was one of the several drummers shared with Miles Davis's bands. And he helped shape the signature beats of the Washington, D.C. go-go sound. Thank you for that. That's a dance music legend. So those electronic drums I was talking about, the Elisa's kit, I keep those around for what I call daytime therapy. And they're looking at me extra hard right now. My next door neighbors on each side of my house are older and we're all at home all of the time now. The neighbor to the west, she drives a school bus and ain't nobody going to school right now. Neighbor on the right, I think he's an IT person. Whatever he does, he works from home too. And it would be really rude of me to bash around on acoustic drums whenever I just feel like I need to hit something. And in the last nine months, I've felt like I need to hit something very often. So, the electronic drums. Here we are. I recommend it for those who can manage it. I also recommend the over-the-ear headphones. You don't want your earbuds to just go flying all willy-nilly. But question, question, question. Does indiscriminate angry drum bashing count as practice? Because if it does, I've been practicing very much through 2020. More drummers. Jose Pepe Jimenez. He's played with acts spanning from Elvis Crespo and Mark Anthony to musical productions of Mamma Mia and The Lion King. Get you a drummer that can do both. And then there's Dennis Chambers. Dennis Chambers is a legend. He's in the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame. He's on like every list of best rock drummers. And he's right over there cozied up with Michael Shreve on those lists. He was the longest serving drummer that Santana ever had. And I gotta say, in a long line of great drummers, Chambers was still a really good get for the band. Dennis Chambers was the original house drummer for Sugar Hill Records. And he cleared up in an interview a few years ago that he was not the drummer on Rapper's Delight, but he was the drummer on pretty much everything else. The message and white lines. 
Oh, he was also the drummer for Parliament Funkadelic when he was 18 years old. And I don't mean to keep harping on how young these people were when they were crossing the threshold to greatness. But man, forget y'all. <laughs> so one night, Dennis Chambers couldn't make a gig. Santana was on tour. They had a, a little side thing, like a corporate gig. It was money for the band. It was short. But Dennis Chambers had already made plans. He was out. So he couldn't play. But he knew they needed someone to step in. And Dennis Chambers says to Carlos Santana, Hey, what about Cindy Blackman? Uh, our highest intentions is to touch your heart. Right now, I want to introduce you to a person who, uh, since she came into my life, I have more energy, more joy, more clarity, and more purpose. How about a nice hand for uh, my wife? Cindy Blackman Santana. Cindy Blackman. Hi, Cindy. We'd like to play for you something. I, had, I started playing the drums with no, with no uh, agenda because I was an infant when I started playing drums. I was just drawn to the drums, and I didn't know why. You're you know, but I think it's family. because of that pulse. You know, it's that pulse that, uh, to me, makes up the core of the universe. And, you know, my mom and, and I have an older sister who's like six years my senior. So when I was born, she was six years old, which is, you know, at an age where you're aware enough to be aware. And so they said, you know, when you came out, you were banging rhythms on whatever you could find. And my mom was like, well, I thought you'd grow out of that. She said, but you never did. You just kept finding things that made a sound. And when you found things that made a tone, even my back, she said, or my chest, you know, when I was holding you, she said, you would start smiling and you would, you know, just make these little tap out rhythms that you were playing. Cindy Blackman, who had rhythm in her veins, who was a third generation musician, whose mother and grandmother were classical musicians and her uncle played vibraphone. Cindy Blackman, who is now Cindy Blackman Santana, who plays in Carlos's band and lives in Carlos's heart. Cindy Blackman Santana, whose 2020 solo album is called Give the Drummer Some. And she knows that the long line of drummers she's joined are among the best in the business and worthy of respect. But she also knows that her stamp on the music is what she was hired for. There was a long lineage of, of drummers who played with Carlos because he loves rhythm, he loves drums. Um, but you know, I, I've listened to the recordings that several of these drummers have made with Santana on these songs. And what I try to do is take out the parts that I like best and the parts that serve the music the best. Um, and then I want to interject myself, of course. So I do that, I interject myself, but I, I, I just try to give the music what it needs, and then with my sensibility um, and with my interpretation, I take it from there. Um, and Carlos is very open because if there's something that he wants from me as a drummer in the music, he's not shy to say it. You know, he'll say, well, can you try this here or that here? Or what do you think about that spot? You know, what do you think we should put there? Or, you know, can you try this in that spot? You have to allow your, your sense of taste, your sense of musicality, your sense of knowing, uh, your sense of what you've learned to 
let the music flow and not get in the way, you know? Um, did I say the right thing here or what, should I have said something here or should I have said nothing there and let the timbales speak or let the conga speak there? You know, should that be my spot or should I, you know, so there's a lot to weave in and out. I mean, because, you know, when I'm playing in my band or a band where I'm the only percussive source apart from, you know, the percussiveness that you're going to get from the other inst instrumentalists, you know, when I'm the only drummer per se, uh, I do what I want, where I want, when I want. Mm -hmm. And I love that, you know. Um, but when you're in a situation where you're flanked by two other percussionists, you know, I got Carl Perrazzo over here and Paoli Mejias over here, you know, you have to uh, respect that in terms of their greatness because they're both extremely great, um, but also allowing uh, them to speak and bring out what their instruments and their knowing uh, and the rhythms that they play allowed to bring out in the music and must have in the music to make it Santana music. Um, you know, and, but still I respect myself. So I got to get in there too. Yeah. So I have to find my niches and, you know, sometimes I got to muscle my way in there. Hey dude, I know you're great, but I'm put, this is my spot. <laughs> you know, so sometimes I allow and, and just say, ah, and then sometimes I'm taking or I'm giving you know, because I want to get a spot in there. That's my spot. I think the drums should speak in here. And I don't mean that from an egotistical point of view, you know, but the drum set is, is an incredible instrument and that needs to speak as well. You know, so that needs to be heard too, you know, so sometimes it's time for the drum set to speak and everybody has to, to acknowledge that as well. So, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that, you know, when I was first talking to Dennis about, about this band, you know, and I was just sitting in at the time, didn't even have any thought of joining the band, you know, mm -hmm. um, but we were just talking about the music and he was like, yeah, you know, I have to, I have to find how to separate myself between uh, Carl uh, and, 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 and the Kungas, you know, I just have to find a way to, to do that. And I'm like, ah, okay. So I started listening from that perspective. I'm like, yeah, you do. You know, and then the more I started playing with the band, I'm like, yeah, I see it. I see it more and more. You, you, you really do. Yeah. You know, um, but that's a beautiful thing, too, because, you know, I, I, I love to hear the interjection from other people because they have a different opinion than I do. Yeah. Not that my opinion doesn't count, but, you know, it's nice to have that. It's also nice for the inspiration of that, you know. Uh, because when somebody plays something that spurs you to place something else or spurs you to, you know, uh, think of something else or something different, it's a great thing. Inspiration is beautiful. I wanted to let her words live alone. Cindy and Carlos Santana are in Hawaii. They're making music together. They're beating off of one another and they're finding silver linings in hard times. I'm so glad I got to talk to the both of them. If they'll adopt me, I'll still, you know, I, I think I can, I can call a couple lawyers and make that happen. Cindy Blackman's inspiration, Carlos Santana's inspiration, the music that they make, the couple that they are, they are an inspiration. And I hope that you've gotten inspiration throughout this season. Inspiration to explore music from around the world 
inspiration to search out other musicians who may not listen to the same stuff you do, but still have amazing points of view. Inspiration to listen to Abraxas with fresh ears. And me? I'm inspired to practice. For Consequence of Sound and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins. And this has been The Opus. We'll see you next album. Consequence Podcast Network. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Long Time No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast.